I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Melissa Manchester joins me now. Her 25th album, Review, will be released tomorrow, featuring 10 songs, fresh takes on her Billboard-charted classic hits. She's had 19 of them. Right now, she's playing the role of Mrs. Bryce in the national tour of Funny Girl, but we spoke in early December about the songs on this new album, writing music, singing, her friends, and her 50-year career, which includes a Grammy Award for 1982's You Should Hear How She Talks About You, and nominations for Don't Cry Out Loud in 1980, which are uh, redone on this new album, alongside other hits, Come In From The Rain, Confide In Me, and her first hit in 1975, Midnight Blue. The new recording on this album is a duet with Dolly Parton. Another duet partner on review is Kenny Loggins, who with Dave Cause sing with Ms. Manchester on the album's opening track, Whenever I Call You Friend. Melissa Manchester's website is at melissamanchester.com, where you can read more about her long and versatile career as a songwriter, singer, and actress on both stage and screen. In 2021, she was inducted into the Great American Songbook Foundation's Hall of Fame. She's also the recipient of the Governor's Award from the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. This uh, new album is from Green Hill, which is a subsidiary of uh, Primary Wave Music. You can get the album tomorrow, Friday the 23rd of February, everywhere, including Apple Music and Spotify. She joined me from Los Angeles. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Melissa Manchester. Ms. Manchester, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> thanks thanks for joining us. Um, the uh, You were announced uh, last year as uh, uh, playing the role of Mrs. Bryce in uh, f- the Funny Girl National Tour, and uh, I understand that you injured yourself in the fall? I, yeah, I took a fall um, about a month ago, so... Um, I'm just recuperating and healing, but I will definitely be returning to the show. You've got two great songs in that show, uh, in that <laughs> role, um, and um, I, I guess we didn't hear them in the movie. Or I, I did. I, we we did hear um, uh, "Who Taught Her Everything She Knows" in the movie. But if a girl isn't pretty, it's such a good song. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. This is a remarkable production. In that, first of all, historically, it's the first national tour ever mm. of this. Show. So it's the first time it's been done in 60 years. And um, the direction is is so gorgeous. And the production value is so, is so gorgeous. You really understand that that we as the company and you as the audience are all part of this memory that Fanny Bryce is having. Yeah. And it's, and our, our star, Katerina McCrimmon, is just spectacular, as is the whole company. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know the, the the title of this new album, Review. Is that yep. how you say it? I mean, it's such a great idea for an album because you're revisiting hits, fan favorites, obviously. Um, Thanks. How oh, I say it? A lot of people say review. I said not not actually. It's actually review. Review. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how do you choose what songs are on the album? Because, I mean, you could have had an album that was twice the size that it is, right? Well, uh, this was specifically uh, songs that have been charted hit uh, with one ringer, uh, Confide in Me, which was mm. just and um, it And I had never recorded it. But years ago, Diana Ross recorded it, and um, Raquel Welch had actually sung it on The Muppet Show. Right. <laughs> But um, I wrote it a long time ago with Stan Schwartz, who used to be in my band. And um, I, 
it, it took, we wrote it as a torch song, you know, it was a straight, slow ballad, um, and, and I had not recorded it, and then I revisited it uh, not too long ago, and I really heard a, a Latin rhythm come forth, and, and that's, that's how I wanted to present it, and the video also is, is very um, dance-forward and very Latin-forward. Yeah, it's it's a uh, you realize just how versatile the song is because I went back and heard the the Diana Ross cover and I remember yeah. Raquel Welch on the Muppet Show as a kid, <laughs> and and what you bring to it in this new version, this new this new cover, if you will, um, mm-hmm. this Latin flavor that that you wouldn't have expected, but it, it it seems like you know it was always supposed to be like that. Thank you. That's how I felt too, and it also was hankering for an opening verse, so I wrote one. Uh, to as well to really complete the whole feeling of the song. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, so, some obviously these are songs that we all recognize. When you're mm-hmm. revisiting them, like if you're revisiting "Don't Cry Out Loud" or or um, "Through the Eyes of Love," do you find something new? Well, that was the whole thing. Um, thank you for bringing that up. I mean, I've sung these many of these songs for such a long time. Um, I mean, first of all, they became the vehicle through which I could reflect my personal growth. Um, and then as a musician, you start to find some harmonic tweak. Um, and, and what I, <laughs> what I wanted to consistently do on this album was have no fades. I really wanted all of the songs to just come to their organic end. So, um, so that the listener understands we're at the end. You know, it's not going to yeah. fade. So, uh, yeah, but I did, yes, I did find some harmonic tweaks. I did um, embellish certain background uh, vocals. Um, the thing that was really interesting for me was that many of these songs unexpectedly had grown into this moment. Um, you know, I started recording yeah. this a few years ago and down at Citrus College where I'm artist in residence. And then the pandemic happened. And then nobody was going anywhere, so I started making these videos. And then I started realizing that Don't Cry Out Loud, that song, was sort of um, the clarion call for every venue that had shut down and every ancillary small business that depends on theaters and venues, you know, to, for their livelihood, also had to shut down. And, uh, and a song like Just You and I, which was written by Carol Sager and myself a long time ago as a as a sort of um, women's solidarity song, mm-hmm. uh, and it turned into a song that ended up paying homage to all of the essential workers who had been marginalized and sort of not thought of too very much, but but they were the ones that kept the glue of society together while we were walking through this pandemic. Yeah, I hadn't heard um, just you and I in a long time, and then when I heard it again recently, I haven't heard the the, the version that's on review, but I, uh-huh. I heard your, your previous version, and I couldn't help but think that um, about the heroes that we all have, right? And uh, you know, the, and at the same time, um, it's a marvelous reflection about who we consider heroes, and 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 you know, because because that that word gets bandied about a lot. Um, it's a marvelous chance to think about who we actually revere. Thank you very much. Yes, it's about the sung and the unsung heroes. And when we were 
suffering through the pandemic, boy, we found out a whole about a whole new strata of heroes. I mean, pizza delivery people, postal workers, mm-hmm. nurses, um, people that were were really um, on the fringe of society. We didn't think about them, and they became the ones who glued us together. Plus, I got a chance to write um, all new background choir parts for the young citrus singers, and you see them on the video. Um, they are, they're part of the Citrus College uh, performing arts segment, and uh, they're, they're splendidly talented. Did, did, um, has anybody ever told you that, that it could be uh, just you and me instead of you and I? <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> in, but uh, it worked out the way it worked out. Yeah. Um, another song on the album that I think um, seems written for this time is, is just too many people. Um, yeah. People afraid to take a stand. You know, that, that takes on a political meaning of its own. Um, too many broken people, lonely people living in a house divided. I mean, that sounds like the United States of America in a lot of places. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and that's another prime example of a song that grows into a moment. Um, I didn't see that coming um, when I first released the song that I wrote with Vinnie Ponti a long time ago. It had actually had been banned on certain radio stations in Boston because they thought it was a pro-abortion uh, song. Mm. And um, <laughs> that wouldn't be the song mm. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I would choose. But anyway, um, yes, I believe that is that it does speak to this moment. So what do you think that says about... Um your ability to write about things? I mean, do you see yourself as prescient sometimes? I guess so. I mean, when you're facing a blank piece of paper, you don't know, you don't think about anything in particular except writing the best song you can and hoping that the muse visits you and stays for a while and keeps dancing. Um, But when a song hangs around for a long time, it it can grow into a moment, you know, unexpectedly. It can grow into a moment, yes. Yeah. Um, Midnight Blue, um, was that your first number one hit? It was, indeed. And uh, the thing that is um, very sweet about this version is that it's a duet that I sing with Dolly Parton. Mm. And um, she's, as you know, just fantastic and I had originally asked her to sing on Whenever I Call You Friends, which I'd written with Kenny Loggins. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she, I sent her the track with me singing all the parts, and she said, you know, this sounds fantastic. It's just too hard for me to sing. I won't be able to sing the harmonies or anything like that. So, um, so after many years, I did record it with Kenny Loggins. But Midnight Blue, as when she said, send me something else. I want to be part of this project. Send me something else. So I thought for a while, and I thought, you know, Midnight Blue as a duet between two women would be very touching um, and deep. And so I mentioned the track, and she put her vocal on it, and it was so gorgeous. But I went back into the studio and re-recorded my vocal to match hers. Um, uh, And we did a video which will be coming out soon. We'll look forward to seeing that, yeah. Um, When you wrote that with with Carol Beer Sager, what was the process? Did, did you have the music first? Um, did you work together on the lyrics? How did that all come together? Well, the way it usually worked with Carol and I is that um, we would just start talking, 
And usually we were talking about our young marriages at the time or the world around us or the music industry. And I would start to hear music. And then I would go to her piano and then she would sit next to me and we would, we would hash out a, a song. And very often we found clarity in our songs that we did not find in our real lives. Um, so, yeah, but that was, that was my first hit and that really changed everything for me yeah um don't cry out loud i mean that's a song that, that everybody knows and and, and mm-hmm. a lot of us love um mm-hmm. your recording of it um at the time did you know that that would be as big a hit as it turned out to be well you never really know uh and the thing was that I first heard the song performed by peter allen my my dear late friend it was a, he sang a very quiet version of it and I thought, wow, that's, that's it for me. This is just a gorgeous song. And um, I brought this song to Claude Davis, who was president there at the record uh, at the time where I was signed. Uh-huh. And um, I don't recall if I was involved in any meetings or included or I was on the road and missed meetings. But when I went into the studio, there was a room full of musicians singing, playing this anthemic version of the song, which ended up being the record. And it was so shocking to me because it was just not what I had planned mm-hmm. at all. And so, um, so I sang and, um, and my performance was fueled by frustration. Um, and it, and it worked and it meant a lot to a lot of people for a very long time. So, but no, I, you, I, I don't think you ever really know that something is going to just transcend you being in the studio and, and really create, a, you know, a fantastic shockwave of, of uh, receptivity. But uh, yes, it, it was responded to very well, and um, I think it's going to stay. But th- these days, I think it's very quietly after all. Yeah, that, that's the thing, the, the power in, in the voice. Um, in, uh-huh. in that re- the original record, I mean, um, I didn't know that that was <laughs> you were frustrated that night or that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. when you when you sing it now, um, it, 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 as you just said, it's a lot quieter. Um, that also takes on new meaning in terms of, of not just what's happening in the world around us, but but um, work itself, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It draws the audience in, and um, because it's an unexpected version of the song. And so, um, like I said, these songs have grown with me, and um, they've they've become these unusual vehicles through which I've reflected, you know, growing older. Yeah. And so the the audience um, is really taken by that quiet moment of Don't Cry Out And you you mentioned earlier that there's no fading on on. Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why is that important now? Well, it's a fade-free zone <laughs> that I wanted to escape. Because on stage, you don't fade. Yeah. You just finish the song. You find the best way to button up that moment so the audience understands we've come to the end of this moment, and now you can you know relax and, and applaud you know, if, you, if you wish. And I just wanted to recreate that feeling per track. Um, you know, fading was a function of something that I think was created in the in the fifties, yeah. and uh, and uh, 
I just thought, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, what's more interesting to me is to finish finish the moment sonically and just let it be. Yeah, yeah I can't wait to hear it. Um, uh, Through the Eyes of Love, that's, a, that's another song that a lot of people know you for, and, and um, they probably know the song more than the movie that it came from. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, when, um, how involved were you when, when uh, Sager and Hamlet were writing it? Uh, not while they were writing it, but they called me up because we were all pals, and they said, you know, are you free on Thursday to record? <laughs> and I was, and um, I went to the studio, and there was this gorgeous song for this lovely movie, Ice Castles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Marvin informed me that the, that the melody was a reflection of the ice skater in the movie doing her figure eight. And that's how it sort of sung itself to him. And uh, this song has meant so much to so many people through the years. And I wanted, in the video that I created for that song, uh, this version of it, um, I really wanted my video to reflect the family that I've come from and all of the people and my friends, my family of friends. And so it's, um, it's beautiful. I love to sing the song, it's such a standard at this point, and uh, it means so much to so many people. Yeah. So, so that 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 came out in I guess seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine. Um, yeah. That year, you also sang "I'll Never Say Goodbye" from the Promise. And right. uh, so, so what is it like when when those songs have a life beyond the films that they appeared in? I mean, uh, you, you uh, they'd be played on the radio, I gather, and 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 um, you got to perform the songs at the Oscars, but by, I guess it would be 1980. Um, at that moment in your career, did, did you feel a lot more famous, say, as a result? Yes. I mean, those, those songs, uh, when they are so widely accepted, uh, it reflects back to you in terms of your career and the size of the venues that you're playing, which become larger and larger, and the fact that the audience recognizes these songs from the first note it's just, I mean, it's wild. You really feel a seismic shift in your career. Um, so, yeah. And, and when you'd perform, say, and, and you started the song, the, the audience recognized it and they applaud. Um, yeah. What's that like as a performer? Well, I mean, it, in the very beginning, it's, it's deeply unusual because I had been you know, playing all of these coffee houses and these college campus, um, you know, clubs and all that and and struggling for for several years um in really (laughs) pretty rough places and then um i worked very hard to promote uh midnight blue so that it would not only go up the charts but it would finally land on the important radio stations um and then when it did and then when i started performing it and the audience would go wild from the very beginning of the song. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Wait, I have other songs for you to listen to as well. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really amazing. You never get over it. And, and do you feel when you're doing club dates now, for example, um, that, that you, when the audience is there, because they go to see you and they go to hear these songs, that you, yeah. you feel like you're looking through the eyes of love, and, and seeing that reflected back from the audience, say? 
That's beautifully stated. Yes, I do. Um, the thing is that the, that the songs have, thank God, endured for so long, and the audience has brought so much to a performance because these songs have become part of their interior landscape. You know, they, the, the songs, the, the magic of any song is that it captures a moment in, in a person's life. Um, and so it's very touching after a performance, you know, when you do a meet and greet in the lobby, and I hear that Through the Eyes of Love was somebody's wedding song, mm. or, you know, Midnight Blue was the song that helped somebody to decide not to commit suicide, or, you know, Don't Cry Out Loud helped somebody through, gosh, I mean, any number of things, through a jail term, through an army stint, you know, deciding to make a baby. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just all of these things, and, and it's so much bigger than when you were just sitting in a room trying to come up with an idea. It's, it's, a, it's a very deep spiritual gift that, that, has, that has had deeper and deeper ramifications for me. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I Call You Friend um, is on review, and uh-huh. uh, I always liked that song, um, but this new version... Um, it sounds, uh, and you're working with Kenny Loggins again, Dave Cause is on it, um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds uh, fun, and, and it's different from the original, and, and um, fresh as well. It seems like a new song. And, and when, you're, when you're revisiting this song in particular and thinking about how it'll sound again, um, what, was, what was going on in, in terms of the thinking and, and, and how you make it? just as lively as it is. I mean, it's a a real banger, as they say. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I really wanted to find my own way in because the version that Kenny did with Stevie Nicks was very specific to him and, you know, that opening vocalese that he did with his tribute to Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys and all that stuff. And I thought, man, i got to find, i got to put my own stamp on this um, because I don't know if I'll ever record this with him, but regardless of whether I do or not, I have to find my own way, a, a fresh way in. And one day I was just, you know, I was thinking about it, but one day I was uh, just puttering around my apartment, and all of a sudden I heard that opening vamp, whenever, whenever, when, or when, whenever. I thought, okay, we can hang the whole thing on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I recorded that into my phone, and I brought it into my collaborator, Stefan Oberhoff. And then our associate producer, Johnny Schaefer, said, you know, I think if you use an Earth, Wind, and Fire song as a sort of feel template and a rhythmic template, uh, you, might be, you might find yourself in the ballpark right away. And we did. And I put on all of the vocal parts that I could hear, and then we brought in some beautiful singers to, to um, build them up with me. And I, fi- you know, I finished the track. As I said, I sent it to Dolly, and, and she loved it, but she couldn't do it. And I had really wanted two women on it. Yeah. But then you know, people had said, record it with Kenny. You know, do it already. And I, <laughs> I sent it, the track to his manager, because she was really excited, and she forwarded it to him, and I hadn't heard from him, and I, I texted him one night. I said, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, and I haven't heard from you, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Just let me know, and I'll move along. He said, 
well, send it to me. And I said, you've had it for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I'll get right back to you. And 15 minutes later, he said, it's great. I'm in. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was really great. He had fantastic ideas and, you know, that unique piercing voice of his just, just was so remarkable. And, um, and he was so dear and affable, and we did this great video of he and I in the studio. And so it had a very happy ending, I'm happy to say. Yeah, it's a great video as well. Um, when you um, look back, um, I was going to ask you about Barry Manlow, and, and you you guys met you know, at a young age. You were jingle singers. Yeah. Um, could you have imagined at the time, I mean, in your teens there or just, just after your teens, the career that you've had, both as a writer and as a performer? Um, I, I couldn't imagine the day-to-day. I don't think anybody can. But I, but I knew that my hunger for, for the artistic life was so deep and wide that I was going to commit as much as humanly possible to find a way to make this work. Um, and last, um, and be healthy about it as, as much as possible. Um, but no, I could not imagine what it would actually look like. I just could imagine it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is what the young Melissa Manchester would have wanted, though, right? Definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, I was, you know, I was raised on music of great singers singing great songs, men and women, who had mostly very long careers. I didn't understand the ins and outs of a career. I didn't understand what it, what a career meant for a woman in particular. I just loved music so much. And thankfully, I was born into the right family. I mean, we were all a bunch of black sheep. And, um, and I was also raised in New York City, which was just the perfect place to just knock on doors. Um, I had lots of creative adventures in my teen years, and it took me seven years to finally land a recording deal, but I just kept at it. I just, you know, I became a jingle singer. I met Barry Manilow and Patty Austin and Valerie Simpson and Nikki Ashford, and, you know, we made a good living, and we put it all back towards our demos and more songwriting and stuff, so yeah. Do you write every day? I don't write every day. I write a lot, and I write in my journal, and I write down ideas. Um, I wish I wrote every day. Um, if I had an assignment, I would definitely write every day. Um, and people have been hounding me to write a book. <laughs> I don't know that I ever will, but we'll see. you got great stories. I mean, uh, the... the, the, the uh... Betty Davis coming to your house, for example, on New Year's <laughs> Eve. I think that's a great story right there. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really unexpected. I I was having a I had just come back from a tour of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Song and Dance. I took over from Bernadette Peters, who played the role mm-hmm. on Broadway, and um, and so uh, I wanted to do a, a great big black and white party and you know, kind of fancy and fun, and uh, I was standing in the backyard of my home just talking to people. There were about a hundred people there. It was a big party. And somebody yelled across the backyard, Melissa, 
Betty Davis is here. And I said, I don't know a Betty Davis. <laughs> Not a Betty Davis, the Betty Davis. And she showed up, uh, you know, with an escort, and she may have been 90 pounds soaking wet. Uh-huh. And she was fantastic and smoked like a chimney and wore a beautiful little black hat with a veil, and she just couldn't have been more fantastic. And then the reason that a lot of us know this is because uh, days later she, she goes on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson <laughs> and mentions this party and says how much she admires you. Yeah, well, it was very lovely. Yeah, it yeah. was very. Um, what do you like listening to? I mean, um, you, you did a couple of albums there where you, you did songs of, of uh, uh, girl singers and male singers that you, you enjoyed. Um, is that the kind of music that you listen to every day, say? Well, I listen to a lot of classical music. Mm-hmm. It just makes me quiet. And a lot of times when I listen to classical music, because it has long melodic lines, um, my own thoughts start to come through. But I'll tell you, lately, I've been listening to a lot to Samara Joy. I just think she's magnificent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, guess who I saw today, her version of that? Oh, uh, well, first of all, that song is unbelievable. Yeah. and. The tone of her voice is just scrumptious. Yeah. Um, do, do you listen, as a writer of music, do you listen to, to music differently than the rest of us say? I mean, are you listening to things that the, the mechanics say that the writer employed? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Thank you for that. Um, I do. I listen to construction. Uh, I, I listen to, I listen for surprises, and mostly I don't hear surprises in music these days. Um, but sometimes I do. Um, but yes, I, I listen to how language is used. I listen to how melodies develop. And uh, it's just the way. But I always listen with joy because mm. I want to be and I want to be delighted. And when you write, and I mean, writer's block, is that a thing that you've had to contend with over your career? Well, I guess you would call it writer's block. I don't write quickly. Um, I write very slowly. Um, I'll come up with a with a clear idea, but I'm never sure if the idea is a title or something that's tucked into a second verse, and I have to figure out who's saying it. Because I really, at this point, you know, when you first start writing, when I first started writing, it was like a second language. It just showed up in a gush. And I just could not stop writing, and it was a fantastic feeling. And then, as as the longer you write, the 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 muscle of discernment shows up, and you just want to get better at what you're doing. And so, so um, so you you start to sculpt language so that it's um, so that it's it's coming from a deeper more authentic place from you. And that's what I always try to share with uh, students is, you know, that there are two ways to write. One is from the eyebrows up and one is from the heart down. And I believe that from the heart down is where the really authentic language is and it's harder to access for many of us. Mm. Uh, but um, but I do love I do love to write because it's, um, it's so singular in experience. It's so intimate and um, and otherworldly. Really. 
So, so when it does come to you in a gush, say, what does that feel like? Um, I would think that you're, you're rushing to get everything down that, that you're thinking about. Yes, that is exactly true. Because the thing about creativity is that um, it evaporates as quickly as it shows up. Mm. So you really have to get it down. If you if you have a bolt of clarity, you can feel it, and it's as if it comes from the back of your head to the front of your head and um, you know language becomes very clear notes become very clear and a lot of times when I'm feeling a block like if I've established a verse and a chorus and I need to move the story forward I frequently stand in the shower because there's something about water the sound of water running that somehow distracts my mind and it lets words come through. I don't know why, <laughs> but yeah. it just does. It also, taking a walk helps as well. I'll bet, yeah. And and your voice, because it, 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 your voice is a unique one, and it's it's one that, that a lot of us have, have loved over the years. How do you care for that and maintain that as you do? Because, I mean, you, you, you're about to, you know, go on tour with, with Funny Girl. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, you're singing for, well, I guess they've got mics now, so you're not really singing towards the balcony, but um, you do have to take care of it, don't you? Well, when I'm when I'm doing concerts in particular, because the role in Funny Girl is more of a speaking role, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but when I'm doing concerts, I, I mean, I'm always very regimented when I'm performing. You know, it's two liters of water a day, and and getting on the treadmill to warm up the body before you go to the theater or the venue, and, um, you know, eating healthy. Um, I, when I'm just around the house, I sing or I hum, um, uh, you know, it's so cause, because I'm aware that it's just a muscle. You know, the vocal, <laughs> vocal cords are so tiny, and um, uh, you have to just keep working them to keep them limber, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There, uh, so many mar- mar- I can't think of, of a song on review that I don't like. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, because you've sung these songs over the years, do you ever get bored of, of, of um, certain songs that, that, the, that the public want to hear, say, that you might be tired of, perhaps? I, I don't get uh, tired of the songs. Um, I've not performed all of the songs through the years, but... I remember when you should hear she talks about you first came out mm-hmm. because it's such an unusual style song. I mean, I, I loved it and I love my friends who wrote it, Dean Fitchford and Tom Snow. But it was so unusual for me because at that point I was really known as a balladeer. And I thought, and I was performing it and the audiences were enjoying it, but I thought to myself, how am I going to grow older <laughs> with this kind of a song? How do I do that? And because I, I believe I was taking myself yeah. so seriously at the time um, <laughs> and so I tried different arrangements and then I put it away for a while and then I thought why am I putting this gift away what is the matter with me and so um, so I I made a couple of videos to go with the song and when I would start to perform it again in concert I would laugh at the video and the audience would laugh at me and we all had a very jolly time and I changed the context, and I, I ended up just being grateful to to my colleagues who wrote the song, who gave it to me, and um, and 
there, you know, and so I could carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is, and it's very healthy to be able to laugh at oneself, I must say. And so it, it does feel comfortable now, does it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Of course, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Uh, you know, it was, I won a Grammy for it. It was, um, it was unusual. I mean, it didn't start my career off into a disco realm, although, you know, people at the record company really thought that that might be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was, you know, we, we live in chapters, and as an artist, you see through your music reflecting back to you the different chapters that you were in. And now, in this 50th year of my career as an independent artist where I'm calling the shots, uh, it all, in the end, is working out. You know, I'm not looking over my shoulder to see who's coming up from behind. I know there are plenty of people coming up from behind. It's not about being in a competition anymore. It's about, um, you know, it's full circle. You go out and you sell your CDs and you hope people stream your stuff and come to the concerts. Uh, and that's really the way it started out for me. Well, long may it continue, and, and I hope you do think about a book because you've got great chapters to write about, I think. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, first I want to come back to Vancouver. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to bring, having you here. Um, Melissa, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I've been a fan and an admirer, and this album is just terrific. I can't wait for it to come out and for people to hear it. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Be well. Thank you. The website for more is at melissamanchester.com. The album is Review and uh, is available Friday, February 23rd, everywhere, including Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, it's artist Melissa Manchester. Join me on the line from Los Angeles and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunkett.